Hey, welcome to the Brazos Point Living Room. We are so glad you're listening, and this week we are welcoming back our very own Randy Dane. Man, it was... Uh, you missed us. Good to be gone. <laughs> I missed y'all indeed, and uh, y'all were in good hands. Yeah, well, we were. People love Greg. He's a good guy. The guy should and lead the so church. And so do we. <laughs> <laughs> we are yeah. people. He, he did try to guilt us a little bit and say, oh, this is probably my only time you're ever going to ask me on. Well, it probably is, but it was nice. Well, Joseph pointed out that he is our one guest who listens to the podcast. Yeah, I, I, I did hear. I listened. Yeah, Randy listened. I did. So. I did. Awesome. Well, we're continuing our message series, Walking Through the Gospel of John. And my first question for you guys can go many ways. Have you ever experienced a situation where something initially sad or difficult turned into something into something positive in the end bad news to good news um i don't i can't think of like a great example honestly the first thing i think of is like <laughs> like different guys i had crushes on over the years that oh? huh i said oh <laughs> yeah oh. <laughs> um you know at different points in my life and would get really sad or disappointed that it was a non-starter. Usually, like it wasn't even that we broke up. It just never started. <laughs> and you know, but now, like in the end, I'm like, yes, I won. Because <laughs> like you found out you dodged a bullet. Well, not just dodged a bullet, but got my sweet, sweet nerd. Oh yeah. Oh, win, win. Mm-hmm. You think those guys are listening? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Would they know who they are? <laughs> no. <laughs> So, man, I'm going to take this in a really different direction and kind of dark a little oh, bit, honestly. Okay. Um, so, yeah, when our dog died, <laughs> she was 17 and geriatric. Unexpected. And very, yeah, yeah, right. It, it, 17, but unexpected. But, yes. Like she was falling apart physically, but then she died in a bit of an accident. Don't tell my children that. They don't know that. Uh, she died in a bit of an accident and it was awful. <laughs> it was sad, but you know, she didn't keep. I need to know more. <laughs> she didn't keep falling apart and we it's didn't like have a workplace, to. A workplace accident. <laughs> Is she buried with Joseph's hamster? <laughs> we didn't have to make hard decisions. So that was, you know, so yeah. That's I stand the good by. news? That was the good news, man. It was, it, it ended. <laughs> it ended and we didn't have to end it. Oh, That's I got true. You didn't have to make hard decisions. Yes. True. Yeah. Like she, she died in an accident, but it ended and we didn't have to end it. And she was no longer suffering through being a 17 year old dachshund. The Lord Even though her. it hadn't been that long since, didn't the vet like call her the picture of health or something like that? Oh, yeah. Like at her, her, her appointment before that, <laughs> she, was? she was predicting multiple more years of living. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, she was. She was falling apart. She looked 17. Braille. She looked 17. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's all good in the end. Yeah. It was bad. It was it, sad. It got good. Well. It not God good. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and Molly gone. Oh. I, and I don't like I don't want to be misunderstood. You guys can attest. I love my dogs. Like yeah. I loved that dog. I, like I really was preparing myself for the day Molly died and what that would do to you. And I was fine. Yeah. Good old yeah. surprise. I was thankful. than I thought you would yeah, be. Yeah, right? Like, I, you know, she went and I didn't have to do it or have it done. I wouldn't do it myself. <laughs> have it done. Also good. <laughs> What's yours? Um, it's hard to follow that. 
Um, I think the first thing that came to mind is not as dark as Randy's. Uh, I think when I chose to go to Texas A&M for school, uh, it was initially a sad deal. (laughs) Oh, yeah? Yeah, I did not like A&M growing up. Um, (laughs) I was always going to go to the University of Texas, and I begrudgingly went to A&M because I wanted to be a veterinarian. I figured that's where I've got to go. I could have used your help. Yeah, (laughs) I wanted to go help Randy in his moment of need. Uh, I'm learning new stuff right now. Uh, Me too. kicking and screaming and loved it. <laughs> Changed my life. And didn't become a veterinarian. Yeah. And I didn't. I yes. knew you loved it. I had no yeah. idea it was my, a begrudgingly thing. My second year in school, I recognized I hate this. I just like animals, <laughs> but I'm bored <laughs> in biochem. So, yeah. <laughs> Turned out to be good in the end. God used it to do many things in my life and ultimately called me to ministry. And God moved you. Indeed, yeah. far less dark than mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Well, this week we are in John chapter 16 and a little bit of 15, uh, but we're talking uh, about good news and bad news. And uh, Jesus is going to deliver some bad news, but he's got some good news that immediately follows. So, Uh, John 15, I just wanted to read just a few things. And here's what Jesus says. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, they would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So Jesus immediately just talks about how the world's going to hate you because you follow me. And then the other, I just have a few verses. This is Luke 14, and here's what it says. Jesus was talking to the large crowd that was following him. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying the person began to build and wasn't able to finish. And then he goes on to say that we ought to count the cost. Um, really, before we choose to follow him. And so, man, Jesus is delivering a lot of news here that people are going to hate us potentially for for following him and that there is a cost associated. So my first question is, what does Jesus mean when he says that the world will hate his followers? And does does this relate to the idea of being in the world, but not of the world? I think that's super helpful that you correlate the idea of counting the cost with understanding Jesus' clear words that the world's going to hate us as his mm. followers. Um, super helpful. And and recognizing that, uh, man, it, it appears to me that there's a whole lot of different variations and varieties of this hate, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I know examples of places in the world where Christians are literally hated and physically threatened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that that's a part of our experience, um, but I do think it's easy for us to understand what it is to be hated in a sense for, for holding to a biblical worldview and a Christian ethic. Watch you, Shelley. Yeah, I think, well, I'm over here. My mind's just kind of spinning because I'm thinking about uh, when Randy said there's so many different ways that this hate looks. And it made me think about not only how Jesus said, like, the world will hate you as my followers because you're going to hold to this Christian ethic, this biblical worldview. But also, like on the complete flip side of that, it made me think about how important relationship is. Like, I think the world hates 
Christians sometimes, Christ followers sometimes, and and that's going to be true, you know. Um, but it also makes me think of how important it is to to have relationships with people so that you can show them who Jesus really is. Mm. And that doesn't mean they're not still going to reject, but it just, I don't know, for some reason that's the direction I went with that. Well, and I've not experienced it so much firsthand, but I've walked with a lot of people who've experienced being ridiculed by their family, particularly for mm-hmm. their faith in Jesus and, and things like, you know, being ridiculed in the sense of, oh, you know, you trust in some fairy tale to keep you away from some boogeyman, kind of belittling their faith. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's hard. I mean, that's hard to endure. And ultimately, I think the root of that is like they're hating Jesus, you know, and, and that feels so personal to us as Jesus's followers when Jesus is being hated on and in, in, in the mm-hmm. process, they're hating us too. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to read just a few verses at the beginning of chapter 16. Here's what he, what what else Jesus had to say. He said, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. So Jesus, again, delivers some news Uh, And my question is, what are the costs of following Jesus that are mentioned in these different passages? And are they still relevant? These costs still relevant today? I mean, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is Jesus talks about, hey, the world will hate you. um, And that there is clearly a cost that comes with following him in my own life, but also in my relationships, potentially with people. He talks about, you know, you have to love him more than your mother and your father and your friends and your family. And then here, Jesus tells directly to the disciples, hey, some of you may be killed um, for your faith, and people will think that they're doing right by killing you, but they don't know me or the Father. Um, And so there's clearly a lot of costs. Do you think those are still relevant today? I definitely think they can be. Um, I think that when it comes to literal death being killed because of my faith, that's not something I've experienced. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably not something many American Christ followers have experienced, but people in other cultures absolutely have. Like we, we know people whose families um, tried to kill them because they decided to follow Jesus instead of whatever the family's belief system was. Um, And then of course, I think we all can, um, understand what it would be like, what that cost would feel like to have people hate you or even just reject you or even just look down on you or think you're like Randy kind of alluded to earlier, even just think that you're kind of silly, <laughs> you know, for having mm-hmm. this faith. And that's, that's really hurtful. Yeah. I read a, a article recently that the author described it in kind of three overarching phases there's there's positive towards christianity neutral towards christianity and negative towards christianity and and what he was saying was we we come out of a a time and a context where it was largely positive and there were actually um good things that were opened up to you and associated with having christian faith Mm -hmm. and saying that you know that's moving into a negative christian space i don't know that that's true for us in our context i'd say that at worst i think we're probably in the the neutral phase you know Mm -hmm. um but i think it's so easy for us to begin to see 
the negative phase around us and in our broader culture. Mm-hmm. So anyway, for me, that's that's helpful to think through, to understand, to see um, that maybe even if this isn't our immediate experience, uh, we need to prepare our hearts and minds for it to actually be our lived experience. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Uh, and the next question is just, have you experienced hatred or tension in your own life because of your allegiance to Jesus? And how did you respond? Um, not hatred that I can think of, but mm-hmm. when you say the word tension, I know for me, it's not even about other people. It's literally myself, like my own flesh having tension with what I know the Bible says to be true. And that's where there's actually so much freedom in having a biblical worldview, because I don't have to try to figure out what the truth is or what's right. The Bible is what informs that, but there are there are some areas where um, I I absolutely put everything on what the Bible says, but I know that my flesh would choose differently. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. This may be I don't know a little bit complicated to explain and understand, but honestly, when I think about this, I actually think more about relationship with other people who profess to be Christ followers, yeah. mm. you know, because it's like when I think about allegiance to Jesus, like I think about what it means for us to actually be conformed into the likeness of Christ and to be the kind of person that's built, uh, that that exudes the grace and truth of Jesus. And and I, I know a lot of folks that call themselves followers of Christ that actually, I feel like there's some ridicule in regards to the way that we react and respond to culture instead of being more antagonistic. Yeah being more compassionate. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, because I think that's where I come back to um, it being freeing that the Bible is what informs that. Because when it comes to other people who profess to be Christ followers, where there's tension is where I don't see that what they're saying or doing aligns with the Bible. That's what creates the tension. And so it's a relief for me to not have to rely on my own wisdom, but on biblical wisdom yeah well and it's complicated because the real jesus is he's not it's it's not all so simple right like Mm -hmm. you have the turning the temple tables jesus with righteous anger and you have the the jesus who uh over and over again interacted with people with with compassion Mm -hmm. right and so like even saying that recognizing that there's a complexity there and our ability to do righteous anger well is is Mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. flawed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think completely agree with both of you that, man, the that there is tension um, that we feel. You know, it, it doesn't compare in many ways to the persecution that happens around the world, but we still feel it, and we still feel the tension in our lives with people. And I think one thing that's super encouraging to me that I see over and over in the life of Jesus is how honest he is with people who want to follow him, and he just doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he's really clear with them about how hard it's going to be. So I told them, Hey, before you start to follow me, you need to count the cost. Here's what it's going to be like. And I love the words from Jesus that we started with reading that he says, Hey, the world is going to hate you. But I love that he says, it's because you don't belong to it. And as the world hates you, just remember that it hated me first. And I think in the midst of those moments where I feel judged or I feel like people look at me or think I'm something because of the beliefs that I hold, I'm just reminded, like, this is not my home. 
Like there would be a problem if the world agreed with everything <laughs> with me. Yeah, right. Like if there was no tension. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, if, because, and I'll just be really honest. There are times where following um, Jesus and my allegiance being solely to him, where when I'm doing that, sometimes there's an easier road that is just to appease the crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's to do uh, or to say or to agree with whatever it may be. And uh, it, there's temptation there because it's it's simpler. There's less yeah. conflict and tension, but just remembering Jesus's words. Well, and the Jesus road is narrow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and when we talk about that too, it makes me think about man, like if if I'm going to be confrontational, if I am going to step into this tension, I want it to be about the tension and the confrontation that the gospel creates, mm-hmm. because the gospel is offensive, and we say that all the time that you know we don't want to be unnecessarily offensive, but we do want to be necessarily offensive, and the gospel is offensive in the sense that it says to each individual, you are a sinner who's not good enough in and of yourself, no matter how good you think you are, right? And so that's an offensive message of bad news that is ultimately immediately followed with the good news of Jesus has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so it's like, you know, like, let's pick our offenses. And if we're going to be hated, let's be hated for telling sinners that they're in need of a savior. Mm -hmm. But with the compassion of Christ and the humility of a Christ follower that says, I too am one of those sinners. I'm just a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's good. Uh, maybe this should have been our question. I can still change it. But are you the type that likes bad news first or the good news first? Always bad. <laughs> Always the bad first? Yeah, I think he so. He just wants to know when his dog... Yeah, he just uh, doesn't like surprises. Ashley's the one. He should already know the news. Ashley's the one that <laughs> found her dead. Uh-huh. So I was she, in the car with she you. She had Never. to break the bad news to me. Yeah. Uh, I guess sometimes you know, like if like a like a teenager calls a parent because they just had a wreck, it is probably better to say, "I'm okay." But the car is oh, not. Oh, that's a great. That's a great example of starting with the you good know? news. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's the one time I can think of. We went skiing last week, and I saw a lady be brought down by medical, and her husband like runs over to the snowmobile, and 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 the medic is going, "She's okay. She's okay. She's mm-hmm. okay. She just doesn't yet know how she got to where she was or who she is." <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh my goodness, that's yeah. But he started with, "She's okay." Yeah. <laughs> She is alive. She is alive. Well, that just makes me think, you know, the the title, Good News and Bad News. And which do you prefer first? Because Jesus, Jesus leads with the bad news with the disciples. I mean, he tells them, hey, the world's going to hate you. It's going to be hard. And then he even doubles down. He says, hey, they're also going to kill some of you. And it's like, man, that is a lot of bad news. But we get to the good news that he he's leaving them. And he, some of the bad news is that he's leaving, too. Here's all this bad stuff, and by the way, I'm leaving, but that's not the end. And so verse 6, chapter 16, verse 6, here's what Jesus said. Uh, you are filled with grief because I have said these things, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate would not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove to the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, and he goes on to talk about he is sending a helper and an advocate and it's for their good. So what is your reaction to Jesus's statement that it's for the disciples good that he goes away? Do you think they immediately recognize it was actually good news? 
I doubt it, you know, because we have so much insight and understanding on the other side of the resurrection that we, we could beat up the disciples, but it's silly because we don't have a clue what it was like mm-hmm. to walk in their shoes. And all the things that Jesus is telling them in these chapters, in this kind of final words uh, locker room discussion are so confusing to them. And some of it's intentionally confusing. Like We're going to go there in a week or so where Jesus really begins to kind of clarify some of this stuff up for them. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think they, I think they were missing more than they were getting. Mm. Yeah. I imagine they, uh, <laughs> it's just like, here's all this really bad news. that's concrete. Do you understand? And then by the way, I'm leaving <laughs> the good news. You don't understand. And yeah. And I'm going to send someone to help. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, and it also, and I think there's, that's part of the tension too. Like Jesus says, it is for your good that I'm going away. And it just leads me to think, which is this next question, man, what are the advantages of having the Holy Spirit over Jesus's physical presence? When they walked with Jesus and yet he's saying, this is better for you. Like, what does he mean? How is that possible? I think the biggest thing that I go to on that is it's so mind boggling to think about it, but in the incarnation, Jesus steps into the into finiteness, infinite God into finite human condition. And so just on that approach, like Jesus could only be in that skin, in that place, you know, whereas the Spirit of God transcends and goes all across and everywhere and is not and does not deal with those human limitations. Honestly, what I think about is um, I've been catching up on The Chosen, and of course we know that The Chosen takes some creative licenses here and there in telling the story, but um, the last couple episodes I've been watching is like they've returned back to... um, their hometown or several of their hometown and Jesus has kind of gone off. He's not with them anymore. And they keep talking about like, well, where is he? Well, I don't know. Well, we need him. And like, there's a very clear dependence on him, but almost feeling like they don't have the access to him. And with the Holy spirit, there's just an alwaysness Mm. about that. Like, like his spirit is inside me as another advocate and I, I have access to him at all times. But you know what occurs to me as you say that is like super helpful to think through. It's it's there is a learning and there is a difficulty in understanding Holy Spirit filled living mm-hmm. and how to understand how to follow the Spirit's leadership in our life, right? Like yeah. that's real. Because how um, often do I think, man, I wish Jesus was just standing here telling me what to do, telling me what decision to but make. But that's the other part of it is like it, it was hard for the disciples to understand him too yeah. and to learn to follow his leadership. You know, I mean, that's just a part of surrendering and submitting our lives to God. Uh, it doesn't matter. Jesus's physical presence or the Holy Spirit's spiritual presence. There's a complexity and there's a learning and a development and growth that goes into that. Hmm. Yeah. I just always put myself in their shoes. Like, that's a lot. You just laid on me, Jesus. And then you're sending who? A what? <laughs> and it's better. There's just lots of questions, <laughs> which is normal. Well, Jesus goes on to say, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But he, the spirit of truth, comes. When he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And he will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. And he goes on to just describe what the spirit is going to do. So he's talking about the promise, the helper that is coming. And so just thinking about this, I'm just curious, man, what are some ways in which the Holy Spirit has already guided you in your life? Like just speak to your experience, how the Holy Spirit guides you in moments throughout your life. 
mean, in, in the broadest sense, it's about as following Jesus, right? That's a good description of what we're doing. We're literally trying to follow Jesus and become like him as little Christ, disciples of, of Jesus, um, and, and being conformed to his character, uh, to his heart, to his mind, and those kinds of things. So if, if that's what following Christ is about, um, like that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit enables that transformation. The Spirit enables uh, that change in us. The Spirit does that leading into Christ-likeness. And so ultimately, man, that's, that's kind of what I would want to major on is the millions of little ways the the Holy Spirit is is, is guiding me more into Christ likeness in my character, actions, heart, and head. Yeah, you know. Um, while also there's there's pivotal faith building kinds of moments where I think the Spirit does some things in terms of leadership. But ultimately, it's it's going to be conformity into that image of Christ, and ultimately consistency with the Word of God. And so you know, like when I think about the the Holy Spirit guiding us, it's into understanding Scripture. It's into understanding who God is and what God's ways are, and ultimately what it is that God has for us, even probably most importantly in the most general sense of what our purpose is, what our life's purpose is, and how we have unique ways that we're going to be about making disciples. But ultimately, that's every Christ follower's mission is to leverage our lives for the making of disciples. Mm-hmm. A specific thing that um, ha- that happens that I absolutely love it when it happens is when I'm praying. And I like to write out my prayers, um, whether it's in the margin of whatever study book I'm going through or an actual journal or whatever it is. I like to write out my prayers. And there have been times that I have begun to pray and not even like my either my heart's been troubled or I did have some kind of big decision to make or I did have something to figure out or I did just need guidance on something. And I can remember saying, I don't even know what to pray. And I would sit and be quiet and listen. And then like all of a sudden I find myself praying something that I had no, that wasn't even on my radar. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I'll realize, like I'll ask God to guide my prayer and like, I know that it is the spirit inside me just taking over and guiding that Mm. for me. And I love it when that happens because it's when I feel the most like, on the same page as God, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like this mm-hmm. isn't my prayer. This isn't my prayer. This is you. Well, and I think you know, there's a a similarity there. You know, so maybe a, a spiritual gifting for you is intercession. You know, and not to say that people that don't have that gifting don't need to be praying, but there should be this sense of when we're operating in our spiritual gifts, we recognize that there's enabling that's mm-hmm. going on. You yeah. know, and and I'm I'm like you in that that there's some things that that are God given giftings that I have. That when I operate in that, it's like, man, I can experience the presence of God in this because I know uh, that that He's the one doing this, yep, and, it's not and me. so ultimately, He He needs to be the one getting the glory for this. Hmm. Well, I think that leads to just the question: We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that He would lead us in truth. I mean, what can we start doing even this week to discern the Holy Spirit's guidance and allowing Him to lead us? What does that look like for us to actually grow in that? And, and allow him to lead us. I think you can be so um, hard to understand, but I, I really think it would also be super helpful just to simplify it. And like going back to what Michelle was just saying, like putting ourselves in the space 
of prayer and scripture reading is probably some of the most practical things that we can do uh, to learn to follow the Spirit's leadership. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What about you, Sean? I think it's a, a constant awareness of my inadequacy like the that he is sufficient and like we were talking about earlier like he's the one doing it he gets the glory for it but why don't i start all of my prayers with lord lead me Mm. (laughs) in this prayer like why do i wait until i feel like i don't know what to pray to ask like imagine if I started all of my prayers that way. And not just our prayers, but our exercises, right? Like the things that we're about to do, because we need to pray those prayers when we feel insufficient, but we also need to pray those prayers when we feel sufficient. Even more Mm -hmm. so, maybe. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Like when I'm coming up to something that I think I got, (laughs) the prayer needs to be, oh yeah, I remember that I'm completely dependent on you, like the abiding remaining kinds of things that we were talking about last week. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, it's it's all things. It's when we feel insufficient, it's when we feel sufficient. It's when we Mm -hmm. don't got this, when we do got this. Like we need to continually be brought into that space where we recognize our dependence on Jesus. Mm. I think my two things are finding, creating time and space to be still. Shelley, like you, when I, I feel like I can actually be quiet and pray, that I feel, I can sense the Spirit like leading me to mm-hmm. think about, reflect on things that are necessary that I would have missed otherwise, that are actually the things going on within me. Uh, and then the other one, like you said too, Randy, it's like just recognizing often, reminding myself of my dependence on him. Mm-hmm. Like last week, Greg said that he, you know, that he prayed before he started his message prep. And I thought that's such a practical, but so wise thing to do. It's like, exactly. Even in something I feel like I'm capable of doing, it's like, even before I start to struggle, <laughs> yeah. before I get caught in a place where I'm like, God, I need your help. When I step into something I'm confident into, Lord, without you, I can do nothing, and I need you, and this is a moment for me to recognize Without you, I could really mess this up (laughs) and (laughs) preach some things that I shouldn't, so please, keep me from doing that. Yeah. And and honestly, too, like when y'all are talking about being still and getting quiet, man, I need more of that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. That goes against my nature. Um, But also, I find when I'm hurried... And when I'm on the move and when I'm active, like those are some of the spaces where I experience the Spirit's leadership the most. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm I'm stretched mm. uh, and those are the spaces where in the hurry and in the busy, I cry out to God and say, like, don't let me be overwhelmed here, but let me realize that you are leading me in this space too. Mm-hmm. I love those spaces. Yeah. I, that's, those are my favorite places yeah. to live in. We're just made different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we are. But uh, both are good, right? Both are necessary. Like we both need to understand how to experience God in the quiet, but also in the hurried. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, glad to have you back, Randy. We missed you. I mean, glad to be back. (laughs) (laughs) We do miss Greg, though. Shout out to Greg. And Andrew. Yeah, Andrew, too. (laughs) He's not listening. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. We love you, and we'll catch you next week.